Welcome back to another Behind the Lens. I'm film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, Debbie Elias. You can find my movie reviews and interviews and print and online in the U.S. and abroad 24-7. But every Monday, I am right here on AdrenalineRadio.com, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we go behind the lens, below the line, with all the master craftsmen and artisans in front of and behind the camera who bring you the greatest entertainment in the world. And we just saw that happen this weekend with not only the Oscars, but the Spirit Awards. For the past several years, the Film Independent Spirit Awards and the Oscars have mirrored each other in many of the major categories, such as uh, best Actor, Best Actress, uh, Best Picture, Screenplay. This year, diver- the, the category, the nominees for the Academy Awards and for the Spirit Awards, extremely diverse, with, the exce- with one or two exceptions. And it was really wonderful to see because where the Academy fell down and snubbed Mr. Rogers and Won't You Be My Neighbor, Not only was that a Best Documentary nominee for the Spirit Awards, but it walked away with its lovely trophy and uh, won for Best Documentary. Uh, So it's always a nice little balance to have the party down at the beach, which has gotten fancier over the years, um, as opposed to when it first started. T-shirts, jeans, some very notable uh, A-listers, flip-flops, but now you really see it's it's gotten glammed up. It is the crown jewel in the film independent uh, crown of endeavors. But of course, and then at the Oscars, uh, so thrilled. Uh, Rami Malek, you heard it here. You heard it here back in October. And Rami walked away with the best actor Oscar. A big surprise. Glenn Close has been on such a roll to have Olivia Coleman walk away with the best actress. For her work in The Favorite, that was a surprise to many, including myself. Um, there were a lot of people on The Favorite bandwagon and on Olivia's bandwagon, um, but I still and but Glenn Close did win the Spirit Award the day prior. Uh, Alfonso Cuarón, he won. You know, he's winning everywhere. Uh, breaking barriers with Roma. Uh, picked up Best Cinematography at the Oscars. Uh, at the Spirit Awards, he walked away with Best International Film, as he also did for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. Um, so he did not go home empty-handed anywhere. Um, Barry Jenkins, pretty much Beale Street, but for Regina King, overlooked by the Oscars. Uh, Barry Jenkins picked up Best Director and Best Feature at the Spirit Awards. Over the weekend. Um, And of course, bouncing back to the Academy Awards, let's stick with no host Academy. Dawn Hudson, please, no host. The show moved quickly. It only ran 17 minutes over. And if you would take, and if the people that were played off had actually stopped talking, it might have been maybe four minutes over the desired runtime that ABC wanted. Queen opened with a killer performance that really set the tone. I mean, how often are you going to get to see Javier Bardem, Glenn Close, Octavia Spencer, and they are uh, Queen Latifah, Lady Gaga, everybody, Sam Elliott, everyone on their feet, stomping, clapping, and chanting, we will rock you. Not going to happen to any places. That was a sight to behold. Queen knocked it out of the park. Um, I think the Academy, through all the faux pas that led to yesterday's ceremony, I think they found a winning formula. And a big part of that formula is the musical performances. And luckily this year, they had some outstanding ones. Open with Queen, you know, Jennifer Hudson performing a nominated original song. You had Bette Midler come in and sing Mark Shaman's beautiful song, The Place Where Lost Things Go, from Mary Poppins Returns. And, of course, capping off the... And we got Buster Scruggs in there, but capping off the musical performance, 
we've got Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And I think that for many, Queen and Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper were the high points of the ceremony. And the fact that you had Bradley and, and Gaga kicking off the third hour of the show, it was great with the timing, the way it was, it was programmed and laid out. It's exactly the way I would have done it. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the way that I was posting on social media for the past, couple, past two weeks, that this is what, how they should do it. So I'm thrilled with how the show played. There was never a false moment. It, comedy was there. Sam Jackson, God bless him. Uh, Sam Jackson and Spike Lee were a real highlight in the show. But I think the Academy has a winning formula here. Hopefully, they will not screw it up next year. The one thing they do need to improve upon, though, is their in-memoriam segment. They omitted so many luminaries in the film world. Carol Channing, not included. Sandra Locke, not included. Now, granted, they have their package done in advance of the show. But Stanley Donan, he is one of the... Uh, one of the largest lights in the cinematic spectrum. Uh, Stanley Doan and Gene Kelly, um, inimitable uh, for the longest time. Uh, not included, not even a mention. Uh, so I think they, need, re- they should really outsource their in-memoriam to TCM because TCM does an in-memoriam like nobody else does. So I would really like to see the Academy look into that and, and working something out with TCM to let them do the in-memoriam. Um, so we'll see what happens. But everybody is clutching their little gold men. Uh, and in the case of the Spirit Awards, their little winged spirit. So since I was there on the red carpet and in the press room, I thought this morning some of you would like to hear what some of the winners had to say at the Spirit Awards when I asked each of them, what is the significance of winning the the Film Independent Spirit Award? Um, this truly Film Independent truly is a celebration of indie film. And I'm so glad this year to see it really get back on track with that. Um, over the past couple of years, as I mentioned earlier, kind of... Uh, you know, they were kind of going for the big name, big title, the more the more box office kind of films. And that's all well and good. But do not stray from your mission statement and what the mission of celebrating indie film and all these filmmakers that toil and slave and work so hard with low budget, no budget, um, hoping to get honored. And so... Let's let's take a listen to what some of them had to say. Starting with, we're starting with Glenn Close, aren't we? Yes, we are. Glenn, congratulations! Thank you. So well deserved. Thank you. The minute I saw the film, long before it came out, that final shot of you and your eyes and the small smile, as if that is an Oscar-winning smile. But here you are now with a Spirit Award, your first Spirit Awards to boot. How does this feel, and what is the importance of the Independent Spirit Award? Well, I, this is, I was on the board of Sundance Institute for 16 years, and I learned from Bob Radford, who is extraordinarily creative for independent film, and, and his, and, you know, this this, I think, this is as big as it is now because of the kind of work that Redford and people like that have established these festivals where independent film can actually be seen. And I think now it's, it's really coming into it, its own, and it has to because it's not the kind of films that studios are making anymore. And it's the, it's the kind of uh, stories that I think are incredibly important for us as human beings to try to figure out who we are, where we're going, where we came from, and where we're going, you know. And so true indeed. Before I forget, I just want you to know, 
In a few minutes, we're going to have the fabulous Patrick Fabian joining us live to talk about his latest film that is out, Driver X. I am so excited to talk to Patrick the very first time we spoke, and it may have been the last time that we actually sat down and spoke, was for The Last Exorcism. So I'm thrilled to get to talk to Patrick again. And then following up with on Patrick is the writer-director of Driver X. Henry Barrio will be joining us as well at the half-hour mark. So you definitely want to listen in uh, as we talk about that. But going back to the Spirit Awards... He was animated at the Oscars. He was equally animated and overjoyed at the Spirit Awards. Richard E. Grant, Best Supporting Actor. Richard, how important is it to you that this win is an independent Spirit Award? Uh, I've never been nominated for one thing before. You know, I've been around for almost 40 years doing this business, so I'm not seeing the news about that, but it's, it's, it's an astonishment to me that I've been nominated for all these awards and won this one today. Um, so I feel very emotional about it. Because I spent almost my entire life in indie films and wrote and directed my own film while well about my childhood in Africa um, a dozen years ago. And it took five years from script to screen. I know from the bottom up how difficult it is to get something made. And in an era of tentpole movies and prequels and sequels and sequels to... <laughs> To do something that is original or is, has an original voice takes a long, long time. It took this movie, it took Anne Carey, the producer, 11 years to get the movie made. So I'm, I'm standing here in the footsteps of Sam Rockwell, who's originally cast, subsequently Chris O'Dowd, and then I got to be in the movie that actually got made. So, you know, it's, it's arbitrary and it's luck as much as anything. So I'm very aware of that and very grateful. Thank you. And, of course, that movie that Richard won for is Can You Ever Forgive Me, co-starring with Melissa McCarthy, based on the, the, work, the written work by Lee Israel. But, of course, Barry Jenkins. How do you not ask Barry Jenkins? Barry Jenkins, who blew, blew apart the Oscars a couple years ago with Moonlight uh, winning Best Picture. Uh, Barry is no stranger to independent film nor is he stranger to, uh, a stranger to the Oscars. But this year, at the Spirit Awards, it was all about if Beale Street could talk. Regina King at one uh, Best Supporting Actress, as all predicted. Um, she also picked up the Oscar. There was never any question that she was going to walk away with that. But Barry did walk away with Best Director and Best Feature at the Spirit Awards the day before the Oscars. So take a listen to what Barry had to say. Barry, what is the significance of winning a Film Independent Spirit Award to you? You have a great relationship. Yeah, I still because this I, so I'll be honest, when I started making movies, I wanted to win these things. I didn't think I thought it was impossible to win the other things. Somehow mixed with envelopes and whatnot, we won the other thing. <laughs> but, uh, but I think being here is always really cool. When we made Medicine Melancholy, we were nominated for uh, Best First Feature. And I was pissed because I wanted to be nominated for Cassavetti, man, because the movie was, movie was so low budget. Charlie Kaufman makes it back in New York. So I knew we couldn't win Best First Feature. Um, it was technically Charlie Kaufman's first, first, uh, first feature, but just being here with Charlie Kaufman, you know, being here with all the films that were nominated that year, I was like, yeah, this is the kind of energy to buy all year around. So um, all right. it's pretty cool. And also, too, you win Best Picture, and it doesn't change the filmmaker that you are. I think being here, winning or losing is confirmation and affirmation that we're going to continue making things in the same way. And that was Barry Jenkins. Well, we have Patrick Fabian on the line. So we're going to jump. Okay, I see two lines lighting up here, Pam. I don't know <laughs> what we're doing. I'm going to let's see what let's see what she's what she's doing here. Um Oh, well, I don't know who was on No clue. So I'm going to I'm going to get Patrick now. So I am so excited. Patrick Fabian, how are you? Welcome to Behind the Lens. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. When I first got uh, the, the publicist hit me up and I said, I have to talk to Patrick. 
Uh, the first time we spoke, and it may have been the only time, we did a, a lengthy sit-down for the last exorcism. So it's been a few years. Oh, my gosh. It's been a few years. It's, 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 uh, well, that's 2010, I yeah. think. Yeah, somewhere in there. So there was no, I said no. I said, I have to talk to him. I have to talk to Patrick. And he goes, let me see what I can do. So <laughs> I am oh, fantastic. Fit. I am thrilled. I mean, you are a workhorse. You have worked steadily all these years. Um, I mean, you've, you developed a great persona on Disney Channel playing a bad guy. Um, I know. How about that? You know what? On the Disney Channel, I was the go-to a guy, uh, bad guy who was like walking around with a rifle during Christmas movies. Yeah. During snow and, and snow too. I mean, it, and I watched you in all of them. Um, you know, and then you've got, <laughs> and then you've got all these one-offs on TV. I mean, you've got Longmire, Castle. You know, going back to Will and Grace, you're doing your theater work. You are always working. You are truly the... the, I've been really blessed that way, you know. You are the exemplification of a working actor. Uh, And you are working all the time. Um, But here, this role of Leonard in Driver X, this is actually, it's a very fun film in many respects, but it's a great character study. And this is a character you really, you really get to chew with this with the character of Leonard here. Oh yeah, you know it's um it's something that actually is very close to me because you know uh, Henry Burial, the writer director, and Mark Stolaroff, the producer, we are uh, all of a similar age, and all the things that happened to Leonard are the same things that have been happening to you know me in my life. You know, middle age, all of my music being. Uh, Put on the classic rock station now, and a mortgage, two kids, all the places that everybody when you're in your twenties thinks I'll never get there, and then you get there, and you go, but wait, I still, I still feel like I'm 21, but the world has changed around you, and you have to come to terms with how you're going to continue on with the rest part of your life, you know? Well, yeah, and this is such an interesting uh, way to tell the story of Leonard. Put him in a car as an Uber driver, and. I love seeing this because earlier this, in 2018, two films popped up in L.A. Film Festival. Uh, one with Jim Gaffigan, American Dreamer, which Saban is about to release uh, in March. And another one, Ride, with Jesse Usher, which has already been out and I think is on all the, the digital channels now. And here we had guys, you know, the one, Gaffigan in American Dreamer, his guy getting divorced. He's got emotional issues got a kid he wants to spend time with and be with. He can't he can't hold a job. He's at a crossroads. In Ride with Jesse Usher, want to be actor, what do you do? If you don't bartend, you got to do something. So, and now, oh, man. so I fell in love with both of those films when I saw them because they also had some really dark twist to them. What I love here with Driver X and your character of Leonard. There's not a dark twist. There is a self-realization, and it's all thanks. There's a great shift in your performance with the one night with the character of Tommy, where you give him a free ride, you go drag him out of a bathroom in a Ralph's supermarket and take him home. And there's a, a complete tonal shift with Leonard at that well, point. Well, I think it's a shift. Of, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a shift of acceptance, I think. Up until then, he's sort of fighting and banging his head against the wall about all the, what life has given him. And, and in, the, in the character of Tom, so well played by Desmond Borges from oh. uh, You're the Worst, uh, he discovers a, a friendship, a kinship, but also a, a mentorship or a sense of caretaking, which may be Leonard's new place in the world. It at least gives him a sense of value that he had not had before. He was feeling adrift, and now he feels like he has a place. And uh, that's a seed of a new beginning. We don't know where it leads, whether he drives Uber for the next 10 years or whether he gets a magical job somewhere. But we know that now he's going to be at least more accepting of his place, where he's at. I mean, and the way and the look on your face when Desmond delivers the line and tells you, says, Leonard, you're the best. You are the best there is. And the look on your face, Patrick it was 
true. It was genuine emotion that came across. And I mean, I just, I just fell in love with that one scene in this film. Oh, thank you. You know, how hard, how difficult was it for you to get into the character of Leonard? Um, because, and he's a family man. You can tell he loves his daughters. Things got a little rocky with the wife. Um, obviously money being at the root of all problems. Um, so, yeah. you know, how, I mean, that was clear from the get go here. We knew going in, dad doesn't have a job. Wife is sole supporter. He's playing Mr. Mom, but she's not happy. Because there's only one income coming in, and hey, we're going to have to cut out all the, all the cable channels and just go down to streaming Netflix. That you know, that's a favorite. That that line gets a lot of grim laughter in the theater <laughs> when we've seen it. I, it's I, now was that actually? Did Henry have that in the script, or did you happen to ad lib that? Because that's great. You know, it is great. I'd love to say I lived it, but Henry wrote the script. What we did initially, we would meet in my, uh, we have an office outside of uh, my house in my backyard, and we would sit there and sort of talk about our experiences of being middle-aged, being married 10 years, having two kids. That's exactly what we are. And uh, we would talk about stories and talk about events that have happened. For instance, the uh, the Peter Frampton album stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the taking the records to the record store. That yeah. happened to me. That exactly happened to wow. me. I thought I was going to get thousands and thousands of dollars, and the guy told me they were going to be coasters. And so that's taken from my life, and then other things were taken from Henry's life. But what he did after we would talk for a couple of weeks, you know, he went back and actually hammered out a script. So he would allow me to to move some things and. He was very generous if I was, uh, you know, not saying things exactly. But he definitely wrote a script, and we stuck to it. And that was that was definitely pulled from him. Well, you know, and I love that you brought up the Peter Frampton thing, especially now with the news that's come out over this past week about oh. about Frampton. Um, it's eerily, um, you know, perfect timing, so to speak. Well, uh. it's a change, you know. It's like, and I've seen Frampton a number of times. I saw him in the early '80s and the '90s. And I saw him just two years ago, and then I hear that news. And so, when like when we when we had that moment in the in the, uh, in the film, and I talk about Frampton comes alive. Also, when I'm sitting in the audience watching it, there's a certain segment that knows exactly what I'm talking about, both mm-hmm. with the album and the music specifically. Yep. And then there's a whole host of people who are like under thirty who are watching the film who don't get it. Yeah, they just don't get it, and there's no amount of trying to tell them in order to make them get it. And that's when you realize, oh, life is moving on, things are happening. And then, you know, a lot of my heroes have started passing away of, of rock and roll, and you know, age happens, and and people get older. And then you hear Frampton say, like, I'm I'm not going to be able to play maybe in two years, so I'm going to go out blazing. And your heart goes, oh, you know, Peter Tork just died this week, and I'm like, ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I mean, it's, and you know, and I'm in the same boat as you. It's all these people. And I sit here and I think, no, you know, nobody's aging. In my mind, nobody is aging. And then all of a sudden they're gone. Um, so Yeah, it, they're gone. You know, I, we, I made the joke. It, it, when, when God took Bowie, I realized, oh, I, I'm not getting off this list. <laughs> you yeah, know? you know, it's it. And it's, if God took Bowie, then I'm definitely going to go sometime. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm curious because it seems you and Henry have a very good collaboration. So I'm I'm curious yes. about now this also with this film, you're doing a whole roundabout with, you know, you've got what, 50 people that are going in and out of your car as you're driving at night. Yeah. And an amazing cast. I'm so thrilled to see. You know, the wonderful Randall Battenkoff is one of your one of your uh, rides. And Max Gale, the soon to be Emmy winner, I am sure. Um, Oscar Nunez. I think so, too. You know, I I, I, I did a movie with Max uh, called Underdog Kids, which was like a kid's karate film. And I made friends with him. And, you know, the the good thing about being in in a company town and in the business is I can call him up. And I called him up and said, look, I've got uh, this scene it's just a scene it's like in the middle of the night and his response was like yeah i'd love to come 
I mean, he's he's amazing. I know the entire everybody out, every General Hospital fan in the world is already. Max Gale has to get an, a daytime Emmy Award for his performance uh, over the past year. Yeah. Uh, he's just he's just amazing in it, and I'm always thrilled to see Randall. Um, I know Randall, and he's yep. just he's an absolute sweetheart. But you know what? This obviously it's a low budget, no budget film. You know this world. Um, what were some of the challenges that you as an actor faced? Were you, was it harried? Were you shooting night for night? Were you doing day for night, uh, night for day? What was this entire process like of making the Driver X? Well, first we had a scheduling issue because, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to be working on Better Call Saul. And so we started to do principal photography um, just before season three of that show. So we, we, had to, we had to bow to Saul in terms of scheduling. So as soon as we were able to find and lock down the first, uh, I think, nine days, we did all the house stuff. All of my stuff with the wonderful Tanya Clark, who plays my wife, mm-hmm. was done in the first five days. We were shot out with wow. her. Boom. And then we had to take a pause for about, I don't know, maybe two months. And then we came back and did about six nights in a row. So it was night for night, day for day, because we couldn't afford to change anything. <laughs> and that also leads to all the driving was me. You know, we didn't have a rig because we couldn't afford a cop or all the stuff that goes with oh, that. God. So it was me in the car doing all the driving. So I would drive for eight hours a night with the camera on the hood, the cameraman in the, in the side, the cameraman on the side of the car. Uh, and so in terms of practicality of the situation of working, that made it sort of um, hard. The hardest thing was I didn't want to kill the actors who were in the car. With me. You know, sometimes I was looking out of the window and there was only a shoebox. Uh, viewpoint for me to have, you know? Oh, my. Well, one of the beautiful things is you really covered a lot of different areas of L.A. Yeah, Daniel Line, who is our DP, uh, really shoots a, a beautiful movie. And like you said, it's a, it's a low-budget film. And for those film heads out there, he shot on a Sony AS7, which is a great film to shoot, oh. a camera to shoot at night. And, oh, God, that's great with low and, light. Uh, and we, yeah, it was fantastic with low light. And Daniel had a great eye for what was going on. And as you said, it's a love letter to Los Angeles. It hits all the, all the spots. But Henry wanted to make sure we didn't arbitrarily pick like a, a, a good-looking spot. He wanted to make sure that if you were an Uber driver in Los Angeles, you would recognize the route that you were taking. Because he said when you drive Uber, you end up doing certain tracks, certain loops, mm-hmm. and certain things become visual points for you. So he wanted to make sure anybody who drove Uber recognize that and we've got a lot of response from drivers saying yep that's it that's exactly what it's like yeah i mean i just loved all the different locations and how surprised are you at the production value the high polish that this film has this i mean the quality of the imagery the visual tonal bandwidth but then the polish especially with the night shots with the with henry's use of color with using lights as transitions of dissolves and lighting transitions, just absolutely gorgeous. But it looks like a it looks like a, a five or ten million dollar film. Yeah. Uh, again, Daniel really lit it correctly, and he was really conscious of wanting to make sure, like you said, having light play against the windscreen, having light play in the mirror, and you know, there's a couple of times when they just set the camera on the hood. And we're bathed in some sort of street lamp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just catch, it captures the depth within the car. Because we, we all intrinsically know what it's like to be in a car. We know what it's like to drive and have conversations through the rearview mirror. And Henry wanted to make sure that, that this did not look like taxi cab confessions, where the camera's placed up above the mirror, right? We see that sort of fish-eyed lens. Right. He avoided that. He wanted to make sure that you felt like you were in it and you were in linens. And I think that's something that really pervades the film. And as the film continues on with more and more rides, you really get a sense that you're in the car with him. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I actually was getting a great sense of, you know, the Tom Hardy's performance in uh, Stephen Knight's film of Love. Oh, I love that film. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I was getting the same kind of sensibility with the way Henry and Daniel were shooting this. Um, and I know for you as an actor, that had to be, that can be a little tricky at times. Um, 
especially and what I love is that the sound design we're not picking up any ambient engine noise or anything like that within the car that, that so often becomes a problem, as you well know from all the well, things you've is, done. Oh, yes. No, sound can kill you. And Mark Stolderoff, the producer, like he said, whenever he sits down to do a, a line budget for anything, first thing he does is, is X out a certain amount for sound editing at the end because he realizes that it, it, it doesn't sound right. Uh, the audience immediately is taken out of whatever story you're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that being said, but you're in a car, you're in a Prius, and we can't soundproof it. So they had mics, you know, all over the place. And the poor sound guy was in the trunk of the Prius because you had to have the, uh, the you had to have his uh, his monitoring devices close enough to the mics in order to adjust them. So for every time you see me in a car riding for eight hours a night, there's a sound guy cramped in our trunk. So it, it's just nuts. I mean, I've never, I haven't seen the trunk of a Prius. Will it accommodate a person? Uh, a very small person. I'm not saying we hired him because of his height, but you never know. Well, you know that <laughs> I, I love hearing that because I had a, ne- I have a nephew that when he was about five years old, and I would go and visit, and I'd rent a car, and he'd always want me to open the trunk, and I go, why? He goes, I have to check. I said, what are you checking for? I have to make sure it will hold three dead bodies. <laughs> so every time I look at a trunk of a car now, I think about my nephew. Said, I think, will it hold three dead bodies? Not live bodies, mind you. He always stressed dead ones. Um, so oh, my God. So you, I'm going to start using that on my girls. Thank you. Thank yeah. you oh, you're very welcome, Patrick. Very welcome. Hey, uh, we got Henry on the, on the other line. Would you like to stay on the line with him and chat a bit? Absolutely, to make sure he keeps telling the truth. Yeah. Can you connect them, Pam? Pam's going to... I make her work. I make her work. with. This is so great to get to talk to you after all this time. It's wonderful. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, I still get recognized for The Exorcism a lot. Well... I still like that film very much. And, of course, I've got to ask you, uh, have you seen Ashley's documentary, Love and Bananas, that she did? Oh, I went to the premiere uh, over here at, 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 in Los Angeles. Yes, it was so wonderful. Is that not? Yeah, she did the sh- she did the show uh, talking about. We also we did an interview, and then she did a, a live call in for the show, and it, it was so funny because one of the exec producers, David Wasserman, I had actually worked with his brother in law, and I knew him before Ashley and I even talked about Love and Bananas. So it oh, wow. it was great to see that film that doc come to fruition for her. So we have we yeah, yeah, she really worked hard. She really spearheaded it. I'll yeah. tell you. Well, we have your boss, your former boss, on the line here. Welcome, Henry. <laughs> I, I wouldn't describe myself as his boss. Certainly, it was <laughs> he was on his own driving that car all night long. The poor guy. We did a great job. Hi, Debbie. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you, Henry. This is. um, Thank you so much for calling in today. Um, You know, it's always it's always tough the day after Oscars and Spirit Awards. Everybody's recovering. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But now, you bring there's a good bring good point here, Henry, about Patrick doing all this driving. What did this Mm -hmm. do to your insurance rates on the film and on the car? Um, uh, nothing really <laughs> in that sense. I mean, it, it wasn't a question that came up um, for the production. Um, it wasn't, uh, I mean, we weren't sure exactly how much driving he would have to do. Um, you know, we knew he would do a lot of it. We didn't have a process trailer. It was that it was a low budget film where we can't put the the car on a trailer that, and so he's not really driving. Uh, we knew he would be doing all the driving, but until we got into it, I didn't realize how much driving he would actually have to do and how difficult it would be. But as Patrick talked about before, I think it also, in a weird way, helped him because he didn't have to worry about fake driving acting. You know, uh, in fact, he had to deal with a camera that was on the hood often. So, so there were, you know, there were other issues, but I think it, it actually didn't, you know, but but as far as the insurance was concerned, it didn't really hurt us in any way. Well, you know, and that's that's always a concern when you're producing something. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious yeah. how this whole now I understand Henry that 
a little birdie once told you that, you know, you always do write about what you know, write about what you experience, tap right. into the elements that everybody that are common to everybody. Um, here, questioning point in life, which path do you take um, as you start in, in essentially maybe this, it's the second half, uh, if you will, of one's life? Yes. You know, and I understand you actually went and drove for Uber for a number of months before you started writing yeah. this? That's right, and it wasn't out of choice. It was it was a, it was a necessity at the time because much like the story in the movie, um, we were facing a, a difficult financial situation because I had a movie that uh, I was trying to get off the ground for quite a while. It looked like we were going to make it, and this horror film uh, that was like a million dollar horror film and uh, that I had written or co-written, and it didn't happen at the last second, and we were facing property taxes. You know this situation, which can be you know, you know it's not it's not a small amount of money, especially right. in California, and so uh, you know we we were all I, I I was facing a very similar situation to the driver after driving. It was very depressing uh, for me because it feels like obviously you know at my age, kind of like what happens in the story, you don't picture yourself in the situation you know you know in the second half of your life, if you will. Right. So it was. It was it was devastating to me, but then it went back to what you were talking about, right about what you know. I had this epiphany a couple of weeks in that I thought because because the driving was interesting. There, there was a whole element of it that was that was interesting, and then I was able to kind of back away from it for a moment and think to myself, "Well, wait a second. Maybe I can make a movie about this. Maybe this is the movie I should be making now." Um, and so it became that for me. And that really helped me, you know, just psychologically as a person. I was like, okay, I've got a goal here that's not just trying to, you know, get a, you know, a little bit of money here to cover expenses. Uh, and it really added a whole a new element to it for me. But you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And it took me a while. It took me, like I said, a few weeks to get to that point. But I didn't see it at first. And it saved me, really, in a way. Uh, and, you know, art can do that for you. Mm -hmm. So it, it did that for me in that scenario, and it felt really great to come to that realization. You know, I'm curious for Patrick. Now, Henry got experience driving an Uber. You obviously are working all the time. You don't have a chance to even to drive an Uber. But have you ever, had you ridden in an Uber or any other ride share when you tackled the role of Leonard? Well, the, the truth is I actually uh, have not. I had not taken an Uber up until that point, and then I ended up taking two just before the movie, but not for research because, you know, uh, this is the lazy actor's way out. <laughs> Uber, I mean, in the movie, Leonard is learning to drive, so as an actor, I get to learn to drive, so I shouldn't have any preconceived notions of it. Mm -hmm. Well, but it actually went yeah, really well for me, me because, too, uh, uh, indeed, putting in like a six-hour shift of driving, and as you mentioned before, all these different people getting in and out, there's that weird thing where... The only constant is you, the car, and the city, and the the variable are the humans getting in and out, and it makes you it makes you actually very self-reflective about who you are. And that was working on different levels for me, both as an actor, both as uh, Leonard, and uh, because you know Henry and Mark and Daniel would be in a um, a follow van close by, mm -hmm. and they were sort of my uh, my id that I didn't see, but I would talk to on headphones in between takes. It was very interesting. Wow. You know, I, I'm. It just this just this whole dynamic fascinates me. Um, but, you know, with your experience, Patrick, with your experience, Henry, of actually incorporating, you know, what you experienced as a driver into putting this together. But I'm also curious because Henry, you're also an actor. So for you uh -huh. as a director and being an actor, does it do you find it helps you, especially? When you're dealing with 50-some people getting in and out of a car and directing them, and vice versa for Patrick, does it help you when you have an actor as a director? Um, you're talking to me or Patrick? Both of you, but hey, let's start with you, Henry. Well, okay, well, for me, it's... It, it, I mean, for me, you know, having my experiences in that, I mean, like, I'm nowhere near the act that Patrick is. I mean, I did it more, I was more of a commercial actor and I 
kind of did more bass player stuff. I, I did my concentration has never been active. Well, it used to be more active. I moved out of that. It helps me because what I love about acting actually is not only experiences on set or sex work, but it's also uh, in seeing how the printer works. A whole, you know, kind of variety of uh, and helpful, and, and, and you know, uh, it, it opens my mind, and, and also reminds you of certain things. Like you may have started a, a certain way instinctually, and then you 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 get to watch others work, uh, begin to come up with your own methodology. The one thing that 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 I feel like that I've always we're lo- we're you're we're, you're breaking up a little, Henry. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, I'm Henry. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna cut in on him real quick and just say having Henry uh, as uh, being somebody who is an actor, uh, it's great for me because he knows how to talk to actors and he also understands how to let actors work stuff out for themselves sometimes, mm-hmm. and also when to come in and help them when they're lost. And I know that I really appreciated when Henry would let me go, but I appreciated it even more when he realized he needed to wade in and help, uh, you know, direct and lead me to where he needs me to go. And uh, I'm an actor who likes that. I don't pretend I have all the answers. And I like a director who has a firm understanding of what they want because I'm there to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And Henry knows how to talk to me like that in a way that encourages me. He's more of a, a carrot-oriented director than a stick-oriented director. Ah. Oh. I love that description, Patrick. A carrot-oriented director. That that's 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 a good one. That's so. Have you thought of yourself as being a carrot-oriented director, Henry? I'm sorry. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, you, you sound great right now. Yeah, well, okay, great. So yeah, look, my job there, my job as director, I've always felt is to make the act safe so that they can you know, really feel their talent, you know, kind of like for them to feel a freedom on set, you know. So my my whole goal is to not try to restrict the actor, but let them kind of go, you know, get them into a good place and make them feel like they're not being, you know, you're not being judged negatively. I'm I'm always trying to make them feel comfortable and and, and good. I mean, that's not to say that sometimes you're you're going in the wrong direction as an actor and you need to be redirected. But a lot of your, a lot of, but but I do that. I like to be positive. I, I, I don't, I don't like to. I know what being super negative can do to an actor, and so I, I realize that 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 that's not my goal. And so yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to give them, carrot being a good word. I, I tend to focus on what's best for the movie and what's best for that character, and and not let my own personality and my own thing get in the way of that, but try to help them. In, in whatever way I can. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick and I were uh, started to touch on this about the high polish and the beautiful production values that Driver X has. Um, I'm really curious about your work with Daniel Line, uh, your cinematographer, in developing your visual palette, your visual tonal bandwidth. Um, you've got beautiful color saturation, the use of red, yeah. green, um, stop, go for the for the Driver X in the back in the back passenger side windows, um, you're the gorgeous, gorgeous dissolves using the transitions of light blur of light, taking us from one thing to another. So talk to me a little bit about working with Daniel to develop this gorgeous look because it's seamless and it fits with the daylight. We have the, the heightened nighttime, it's almost surreal as poor Leonard is driving around and at times not believing the people that are getting in the car. Uh, so, you know, what were you? Well, a lot of that came out of uh, a lot of that came out of my experience of driving because at the time I started driving, LA started replacing a lot of the street lights, LED lights. Right. And and so the the night the, the way the night looked kind of changed. You know, became brighter and lights became more prominent. And so, and I think you had mentioned Stephen from Locke. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that became a big inspiration. But also, when you cast your, 
you cast your actors, but you also cast your DP. Daniel Lynn had made a short film that was about a driver, and there were some night driving scenes that, that Mark and I had seen that were that looked beautiful, and we thought, how did he do that? And he had this special lighting system he'd already developed for the car. So as Patrick drove around L.A., these lights magnetized on the roof, and they would come around the sides, and Daniel had built this system uh, to be able to light and, and to be able to control the lighting and to change the lighting. and to, Again, Locke being an example of, of, of using light and reflection to add depth to the scenes, and, and Daniel was a perfect choice for that. And so, I, it, you know, it was it was it was great for us that we, we ran into Daniel and and was able, able to kind of identify that he would be the perfect person for this job. Oh, I, because it looks beautiful, and another big element yeah. of this whole look is Eric Strand's editing here, because you've yeah. got how many people got in and out of the car whose footage landed on the floor and did not even get used in this film? Nobody. Uh, some, some scenes will become part of a montage. A couple of, about four became a montage. But um, not much. Like I said, a low production, so you have to do a lot of your pre-planning. And, you know, you have to, you don't have a lot, you don't want to overshoot. And you don't, you, you don't have that ability to overshoot. So, Nobody really ended up on the cutting room floor except for into a montage as opposed to a full scene. Mm -hmm. Wow. Eric was amazing, and I've worked with Eric before, and he's really good at structure and at reimagining structure. And at some point, it's very important to let go of the screenplay and to, you know, enter the third phase of production, which is editing. And it's almost like a writing phase. And so you want somebody who can reimagine the movie. Forget about the script and, and reimagine it. And, and, and that's what Eric brings to the project. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick, I'm curious, yeah. because this isn't a low-budget, no-budget indie, did you get any rehearsal time here? Or was this just get in the car and drive? You know, uh, you know this goes to casting as well. Uh, the cast of characters we had, one, it plays well when I don't know the people very well because that's the nature of, of rideshare. But two... The people that Mark and Henry decided on for, for, like we talked before, like Max Gale and Randall Battenkopf, and, you know, there were people that you just got to play with immediately. Oscar Nunez, uh, you know, Desmond Borges. All these people are people that, as actors, you enjoy this moment where you show up, it's 2 in the morning, um, here's your scene, Henry and Mark are coming in saying, all right, the car's lit, let's go, and then you go, and you jump in the car, and you play, and you talk and listen, and you use Henry's script, and... Um, and then in two hours, you're done. They're gone. So uh, in terms of rehearsal, the only rehearsal was, hi, Patrick, this is, this is so-and-so. And then you met one another, and then you, then you, then you flew. And I, I like working like that uh, in this particular case because it was such a mobile and moving uh, movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it literally was on wheels. And so the sense of forward motion was, and energy, I think, was important. Yeah, you know, I... How many? Ta- what was the average number of takes for each of these scenes, or was it just a run and gun, one take? No, I'd say about two to three takes. Well, that's not bad. Two to three takes. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, we we were we were able to. If we needed to do more, we could, but we had to be very careful about that. And the other thing I would say is, that, uh, Debbie, that in casting Patrick, casting your lead is very important. And so Patrick and I worked before we shot together, and that way I could talk to him about my experiences. You know, and I, I, you almost workshop it a little bit with your lead actor, and I think you partner up with your lead actor on this kind of film, and that becomes a very important element. And then everything else could fall into, yeah, people are showing up on the night, but you, you have a lead actor who is really... Um, you know, he's really situated in the character by then, and so there's no wrong turn he's going to make. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick, I'm curious for you. Here you get a film like this that you actually get to play in, much like you did in The Last Exorcism. It basically came down to you and Ashley. Here it's you yeah. and then just people popping in and out. Your television series work, um, all of the, you go in for a lot of them. It's a one-off or a recurring 
but you never really get to flesh out the character. And I know you do a lot of stage work, too. So I'm curious, do you like going in and out and just jumping in, doing a character, moving on to the next? Or do you really like to take your time with a project like this and really get to develop the character you're playing and see where he's going, this emotional arc that he's taking? Well, you know, the first answer, obviously, is like, I just like to work, and I don't care what it is in some respects. I like to show up to do a job. But to Henry's point, what was great is, you know, it, it is a partnership, and, and I didn't really realize that as much until actually we were out through the other side because it didn't really occur to me that it would be sort of, you know, Henry and me and then these other people in the car. Uh, I felt like Tanya, my wife, was part of the same play. Mm-hmm. And I thought everybody else in the car was going to be like, hey, we're a big company. But it wasn't until we got through the whole thing that I realized we would call people to say, like, oh, we're going to have a finished product, that they'd only worked on the film for two hours. They'd only, they'd only done their bit, and they were gone. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it was a much more fractured experience. And for me, I was able, as Henry said, to lay into it more, to get a real feel. And having never driven Uber before and, and having not walked in Henry's shoes, I thought uh, he was able to really convey and give me the opportunity to feel what that felt like. And I think that really translates when you see the final thing, especially when you see it on the big screen, because you get a real sense of being in the car and in Leonard's shoes, and you get to feel his point of view. And to your point, Deborah, when when Tom gives him the, the sticker of approval and, mm-hmm. and says, you know, you're the best, you get to take that sense of pride that Leonard gets to feel as well because you're in it. And that's because you can luxuriate in the transformation of it. Uh, you know, as Henry has said as well, and, and I've said, the film isn't, uh, you know, one wild night in Los Angeles. You know, it's, <laughs> it works on you in a much more intense, subtle way that I think actually has deeper resonance at the end of the day. Oh, a- absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the things, Henry, that I really love with this script um it so easily could have gone in other directions but here you stay focused on leonard you stay focused on his internal journey that's affected by his by his external journey yeah I, i you know i wanted to this was my ode to uber drivers you know i i really wanted to or to bike share drivers because i you know, having been in their shoes, I, I, I just wanted to make something that they would recognize themselves in. And again, you know, one of the things that you, you kind of, it's a leap of faith for a filmmaker or a writer is I'm going through this so maybe other people can relate to it. And, and so that was a big thing for me, uh, was just trying to make it a true experience. Because one of the concerns was that we would try to turn in, it into more of a Hollywood happy ending um, story and um, you know, or, or or a tragic ending, or you know, he becomes a serial killer that drives around. <laughs> and you know, I think I just wanted to keep it in the realm of reality because, in a way, I think this job not going to be around for too much longer. Maybe another ten years. I think once driverless cars really catch on, I think that's what Uber's waiting for. Um, and I think so. It becomes like a time capsule film. This is a time period when these you know, when this happens. And so I just really wanted to capture the reality of it as much as possible, and hopefully it would still be entertaining enough, and that's why you cast people like Patrick Fabian, who are fantastic and super reliable and very professional, and, and you know, um, you know to, to really bring it to life. Well, I can't agree with you more on casting Patrick, because I think he's, he's perfect in the role. I think he's wonderful. I, mean, I think you're wonderful in everything you do, Patrick. So, you know, I... <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, what what can I say? You know, I want to ask each of you, you know, everybody always takes something away from projects when they do them and they walk away. But I'm I'm curious for each one of you, what did you learn about yourself in the making of this particular film that you can now take forward into future work and that you have taken forward? Because I know you shot this a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, for me... It was just this idea of it's another every time you you know it's difficult to make films uh, because they're so expensive even on this budget scale. Um, so uh, each experience is like a a, a a a a window into what it's what you can do at what budget level. I've always wanted or felt like uh, 
even at a very low budget level, it's possible to make a great film, uh, you know. So I always strive to figure out how to do that. What would be the best way to do that? Mainly, I'm also writing the film, so it's, it, it becomes a big experimentation. I mean, the main thing I would say that I took away from this was the idea that, you know, a solidification of my style of, you know, going for the most real, um, you know, narrative elements possible and then trying to fill them in with, with as much life as possible and casting the right actors. Um, so it becomes a continued experimentation, not only in the filmmaking part, but in the writing part, where you, you're trying to write things that, that still fit into that low-budget mold, but still do, um, still do the things that, a, that an audience craves for and wants. And so it becomes a push and pull as to how, how low can you go with the budget level and still be able to accomplish what you wanted to do. Um, so it, you know, it's not perfect, and, and I don't know that I have the right answer for you. It just becomes a process, really, that you get more sophisticated at. And what about for you, Patrick? Well, it's funny. You know, I, um, I find that every project I do, I, I have preconceptions of what it's going to be like, both in the experience and both on what the final project is going to look like. Uh, and you'd think I'd get better at that, having been around for so long. But I'm not. I'm still sort of a, 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 it, I'm unable to see what it's finally going to be in the end, which is good because my job isn't to be the director. My job isn't the producer. I like being an actor, and I like doing this thing and thinking I'm doing one thing and then having it turn out being something else. And uh, on, on a particular example, uh, I learn something about my, myself every time, both in the commonality, I mean, I'm a working actor who lives in Los Angeles, and so therefore you can make certain assumptions about me if you want. However, what I find from working and playing different characters is that the commonality of just the experience of being alive is much more pervasive than the differences of where we live. So, no, I don't drive Uber, and, uh, and, and no, I don't have these other things, but, but by doing this job, I was able to feel and find a common humanity on, on, on Leonard that I also share. And then you get into that whole thing of like, well, is Cary Grant playing Cary Grant or is he, or is he acting? And then and my answer to that is I don't care as long as I believe it. And so there's moments that Henry filmed me where uh, I didn't realize I was being filmed, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And even as an as a, uh, audience member, I was able to say, oh, that looks real. That felt real. And then as the actor, I go, oh, God, what did I do there? And, of course, I can't remember because it's all mercury through the fingers. <laughs> well, guys... Uh, it's I love this film, and it's available everywhere now. Correct, Henry? I mean, the main place you could find it is on iTunes, but right. there, there are other platforms. I think they're getting it ready now for cable. Yeah. So I, I think right now the best place to find it is on iTunes. But I know it is out there on multiple platforms. But yeah, I think iTunes is yes. the primary one. And of course, Patrick. And my mother just told me it's on demand. So there you go. Oh well, okay. Mom is the one, she is the go-to. So, oh, guys, thank you so much. This has been such a treat having both of you today. I can't thank you enough. I hope you'll both come back and do the show again. I hope you'll come back again. Of course. That'd be fabulous. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much. Well, as soon as you make one, I want to hear about it. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you, Debbie. All right, bye. And that was actor Patrick Fabian and writer-director Henry Barriel talking about Driver X. Um, and it really is. It's a fun, it's it's has moments of being fun, uh, funny, but it is. It's a very thoughtful film, and it looks absolutely beautiful. And as Patrick said earlier, it does look, it's got the polish of a 5 to $10 million film, and that is so far from what this film, the budget actually was. So see it, see it, see it. Um, that is all the time we have today. We had a brand new PSA today for the pet project. We didn't even get to play it. We'll play it next week, because next week we've also, something's happening when we've got Michael Gazin and Stephen Portland here talking about something. And we're going to try Heidi Yeeman, uh 
We're going to ha- see if she's available this time to talk about behind the bullet. You may remember she was slated some many weeks ago and something happened and she was unable to join us. So hopefully we'll have Heidi next week too. But that is all the time that we have today. Until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 